John, I can't tell you how excited I am about the Cinephile's new sponsor, an absolutely incredible game, Marvel Strike Force. Now, anyone who's listened to the show knows that I've been reading comic books since I was five years old, and this is like a comic book fan's dream come true. You could create a mobile squad and play as your favorite Marvel characters. I mean, everyone is there. The Punisher, Vision, Black Panther, Cap, or even my favorite Marvel character of all time, Daredevil. Your goal is to power up those characters, unlock gear, and use them to compete in player versus player mode, alliance mode, and real-time arena. Yes, Stephen, as we speak, they are enjoying their six-year anniversary. Six years, wow. And you know what that means? Free stuff just for signing up via their unique link in the description. The anniversary consists of weekly events and bonuses. If you complete each event, you can receive special rewards and skins. Completing every single mission throughout the entire anniversary will result in an even more special reward. Make sure to log in each day and each week to take advantage of all the new characters that are being released specifically for this event. This will be Marvel Strike Force's most generous event to date, so don't miss out, y'all. Check out that unique promo code, and for every new user, please follow our link in the description and use the promo code MAXPOOL. Once again, thank you so much to Marvel Strike Force. We're very, very excited to have you sponsoring this episode. Hi, this is Steve. The job of a movie is to entertain and good movies certainly deliver on that, but great movies often go beyond simple entertainment. Great movies stick with you long after you've left the theater. They can help you see the world from a different perspective or think about your life in a new way. Moneyball is a really entertaining sports film with an interesting cast of characters, great conflicts, and of course, thrilling moments when everything comes down to a single pitch and the chance to break one of baseball's most unbreakable records. However, for me, what makes Moneyball a great movie aren't the moments with the team out on the field, although those are beautifully done. It's the ideas which I find unexpectedly challenging and applicable to everything from economics and politics to my own life goals. So if you haven't seen this incredible film, statistics say you should head to cinephiles.net where you can buy or stream Moneyball along with every other movie we've ever reviewed through Amazon Prime. And on patreon.com slash the cinephiles, John and I leave the world of great films behind and travel to the land of student films. We discuss how they're made, what it's like to act in them, and the process by which student filmmakers move from novice to competent craftsman and even occasionally to artist. So that's a discussion of student films on Patreon and Moneyball Part 2 this Friday on the cinephiles. I don't think we're asking the right question. I think the question we should be asking is, do you believe in this thing or not? I do. It's a problem you think we need to explain ourselves. Don't. To anyone. Hello and welcome once again to The Cinephiles, where each week we enter the world of a great film, we explore its themes, the history, the filmmaking, and the influence it has on us today. My name is Steve Morris. I'm a filmmaker and directing instructor in Los Angeles, California. Hello, everyone. My name is John Roke. I'm a writer, producer, and host here in Los Angeles, California, and excited to be back for the second part of Moneyball. It, it's so funny because... the. 
one of the things that happens when you we do two parters mm-hmm. is I have more time to think, and so I've been, th- and I'm really mm-hmm. glad because I got to think a lot more about this movie, and there's just a lot of really really interesting ideas including something we talked about at the very beginning that we must remember to address at the end. Okay. Is this a sports movie? Yeah. That's, all right. That's, that's the fine. thing. We definitely have to have that conversation because I actually think it's a complicated answer. Okay. Um, uh, so, but where we left off, the A's, John, were not doing well. Oh, it looks <laughs> they bad. Were, they were deep, deep, deep in the cellar and Pete and Billy Bean are having a meeting and Peter asks him, why don't you travel with the team? I can't develop personal relationships with these guys. I got to be able to trade them, send them down, sometimes cut them. Is this true? Do you think that's why he doesn't travel with the team? I, 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 there's a deep amount of superstition on his side of things. So when you ask if something is true or not, I don't know. Uh, but it sounds true. It sounds right. Um because there are people who are really good at their job, but they're horrible at firing people. They're 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 just they take it so, you know, personally to do it, uh, and so creating a little bit of distance between them and you is how they navigate situations like that. And I've known managers like that uh, for sure. Uh, I've never been a manager like that because I'd rather look a person in their face, but it's not easy to do. So it makes sense. I don't. Let understand. me let me ask you this question a different way. Sure. Do you see Billy Bean as a person that is worried about other people's feelings or has stress about firing people? I it's it's tough to negotiate that. I, I think actually he is in certain situations, but when it comes to players, I think because he's been a player who's been sent down and let go and not fulfilled his promise, maybe there's a certain level of empathy that affects him when he has to do it with a player as opposed to, you know, a scout like he does in the movie or a assistant coach or a coach or whatever. There's a different situation. He can create them in his mind as management, even though he's management, but he feels, I think, a deeper connection with the players. So avoiding that emotional connection makes sense to me because of the experience that's laid out in the movie. It's funny. The more I think about this, the more I think this is total bullshit. I actually don't agree. I think he is so focused. He's so eyes on the prize. Mm -hmm. I mean, you see him just barreling through everybody else from Art Howe to to all the scouts. And it's like and even Mm -hmm. his treatment of the players, you know, which we'll see a little later on. He does warm up. He does build relationships with them. But up to this point, I think he's just like, whatever I got to do to win, I really think he doesn't have a hard time firing players. Mm. I think he has a hard time getting emotionally involved with the team. I think Andy's Mm. superstitious. I think so. I think this his reason of why he doesn't travel with the team Mm -hmm. is a total lie. Okay. Um, That's my opinion. Okay. But of course, then we get into this conversation about how it is to cut a player. And Peter's like, well, I'm never going to have to do that. And Billy goes, yeah, you do. In fact, cut me. And it's just a really funny scene <laughs> of Peter very awkwardly trying to cut Billy Bean. You've been a huge part of this team. But sometimes you have to make decisions that are best for the team. I'm sure you can understand that. I just bought a house here. Well. In Oakland. Well, uh, well. That's all you got to say? My kid just started a new school. They made friends. I have nipples, Greg. Can you milk me? I, it just... <laughs> Feels very similar to that scene when I was watching it this time around. Yeah, totally. <laughs> um, but what I love is that at the end, Billy's like, "Look, these are professionals. Just be straight with them. No fluff, just facts." Pete, I gotta let you go. 
Jack's office will handle the details. That's it? And I love this line, and I think this is a really good metaphor. Would you rather get a bullet to the head or five to the chest and bleed to death? I'm a bullet to the head guy. Well, you've had situations where you had to get the bad news from the boss, mm-hmm. or you didn't get the part, or whatever the thing is. Mm-hmm. In my experience, I know the second before they start talking <laughs> where it's going to go. So it's like, just come on, just let's get to it. You're you like, know? Steve, uh, Steve, come in here. Oh boy, I know what's happening. There's so many times where I've sent a script or something or someone to a friend and say, hey, so what did you think? And there's a pause. It's even the hesitation. You're like, ah, fuck. <laughs> you know? <laughs> well. <laughs> exactly. That, yeah. It's, it's a funny situation. It's like, let's just, let's just move it on. Let's move on. <laughs> you know what? You didn't like it. Let's move on. Uh, and he sends Peter off uh, on the plane and he ends up sitting next to David Justice. Oh, great scene. <laughs> And what's so funny, he asked that exact question, like, why doesn't he travel with the team? And Peter says, well, he doesn't like to mingle with the players. Is that supposed to make us easier to cut? I love David Justice's character as portrayed yeah. in this film. And then we go right to, how come soda is a dollar in the clubhouse? <laughs> <laughs> Which, once again, David Justice said never happened. That was never the case, nope. but it was done for the movie. Also, uh, I do want to take a little, something back I said in the first part after doing a little bit more research. Apparently... Um, those allegations were turned back later on. The allegations that he had, domest- he had domestic violence against Halle Berry. I want to be fair to Mr. Justice. And apparently those allegations were kind of taken back over the last few years uh, by Halle Berry in, in, terms of co- in a couple of tweets that David Justice claimed was her way of absolving him. So perhaps nothing happened. Perhaps something did happen. Either way, I'd, I want to be fair to present the other side of this as well. So uh, before we go forward, I just wanted to clarify. That. Can I just take a moment to yeah. say how much I respect the fact that you, A, not only did a little extra research to make sure what you said is right, and then came on to, to give a retraction. Well, like, yeah. that is the truly honorable. But but the, most people yeah. don't do that shit. Yeah, I don't get you that. Know? You know, we've got, there's nothing wrong with admitting that we're, we've all been wrong about something. I don't get why people have a hard time admitting that they're wrong about something. We've always all been wrong. No one's fucking perfect, you know? Well, and most people don't even check. They just, yeah. I heard a thing yeah. and I repeat it. And you and I have microphones and you repeat shit on the microphone. And we're claiming to be experts on this stuff. So when someone here, <laughs> oh, I heard it on the cinephiles, yeah. must be true. You must know? be true. <laughs> so so good, good on you, sir, well, for doing you. that. Very much. Billy picks up his daughter at the airport. That's a very cute scene. And then we cut to, man, it is bad with the A's. Yeah. I love the sign, the solo person in the stands holding a sign that says, we're still proud of you. <laughs> it's a real hurtful sign. It is. That's meant in a loving way. Especially because it's only talking to the players, I'm sure, and not to management. Of yeah. course not. The fact of the matter is, this is not about statistics. This is a game about people. Art how is not the problem. The problem is up in the general manager's office with Billy Bean. And of course, when they start to win, they're going to say the opposite thing. Of course, of course. It sounds like Billy Bean is real, real close to getting fired. Mm-hmm. But this is the game, right? When you're a general manager, you got to take all the hits if you're putting the team together. That's the game. You know, this is why you get paid the big bucks to take the abuse as well sometimes from the fans. You know what? I, I said we were going to readdress this issue at the end of the podcast. Mm. Actually, I'm going to say my opinion now. Okay. I actually think when it is a sports movie, it is totally a sports movie. Okay. But I think it's largely a business product movie. It's like Tucker, a man in his dream. Mm. It's like the founder. It's the person with the radical idea 
and and all of this whole industry is against that is conspiring against that idea. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. That's that's a lot because that and it's it's funny because that's what Billy is, but the team is in a sports movie. You know what I mean? No, I hear what you're saying, and I, and I totally respect. I, I think it's all. I think I can't separate. So to me, it's all connected, sure. which is why I think it's a sports movie because everything he's doing is to win. So the ultimate goal here is to win a World Series. He lays it out from the beginning. I want to get to here, right? He puts that up in the air, his hand, saying, I want to get to here. The Yankees are here. We're here. I want to get to here. I want to win a World Series. So everything he's doing, even though he's being radical and making these incredible decisions that can cause fury amongst the scouts and amongst the fans, he's doing them all in the pursuit to win a World Series. So to me, that makes it a sports movie. And we get to know the guys and the manager and everybody involved, you know, and that turns it into that. I mean, I get your point. I just feel like I can't divorce it. In my well, I, well, and this is there are certain things where there is a right and a wrong. And this is not one of them. This no, is right, definitely exactly. just an opinion. Uh, but but there's another point we'll get to in a minute that, that mm-hmm. we're kind of readdress it. Okay. Uh, he has uh, Pete and Billy have a meeting with the big boss, with the owner. Right. And they confidently stand by the plan. I believe the record doesn't accurately reflect the strength of this team and where we're going to be at the end of the season. He does not look as confident as he did in the first meeting when he was like, you know, just, you know, you got to work within the parameters of what we have. This time around, he's more like, are you sure? Our goal and our expectation is by mid-July to be within seven games of first. That would be this working. That keeps us in the hunt. To me, that's it's like, I know you got your statistical whatever. That seems like a lot of a prediction. Predicting the turnaround in the team seems very difficult to predict. Oh, I would imagine so, yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and what's great is you go right from Billy confidently saying, we're 100% committed, we 100% believe it, to his head in his hands. And then we cut, where there's a game playing, and then we cut to a hallway and a TV flying out of Billy Bean's office. Yeah. <laughs> So clearly, he's struggling with his decisions as well. Yeah. You, you know what just occurred to me? Yeah. You, may, you know, one of our producers on this movie is Scott Rudin. Yes. Yes. A man well known as oh. a guy who throws stuff. Maybe this is a little Rudin action. That's fair. Well, and it's also, we find Billy Bean to be a charmingly lovable dick. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. Like, working for him might not have felt that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because you're just with a boss that throws things and hits things and is condescending, and he's just a dick. You yeah. know, the charming, lovable thing, it does not exist. <laughs> Another really, really sweet scene with the daughter. She's eating ice cream. They're eating whipped cream, and she's worried about him. Yeah. Because it's all over the internet that he could get fired. Everything's fine. Really, you don't have to worry. But if I- you lose your job, will you have to move away? I am not going to lose my job. What I find so interesting about this conversation with his daughter is, in fact, it is exactly the scenario that he used when he was play acting with Pete and the idea of getting fired. Mm-hmm. He's the guy with the daughter who might need to move away. He was really talking about himself. Yep. Yep. Exactly. Yep. We're back. He, Billy's shaving in his office and he gets the word from Pete that Pena is still playing. Mm-hmm. And he says, okay. And he stands up and he tosses that desk. Because he doesn't want to be pushed to this moment. 
but he's going to do it. And he's going to make a decision here because clearly Hart, Art Howe doesn't respect, at least in the confines of this movie, right? Right. Real Art Howe, none of us were there. But like in the confines of this movie, Art Howe doesn't respect him enough to stick to the plan because he wants to put his own fingerprints on the team. Let me ask you a question. Yeah. We've done a lot of movies at this point that are based on true stories. Mm-hmm. And in general, you and I always try to, at least to some degree, point out when the movies diverge from the reality. Yeah. Whether it's Gladiator or Braveheart or Lawrence of Arabia or whatever it is. Do you think there's a higher responsibility when doing a movie about people that are still alive than Mm -hmm. there is about doing a movie about things that happened 500 years ago? Well, you're, you're talking in generalities. It would depend, right? Like if I'm doing a slavery movie, I want to be very clear that I'm authentic as hell about what I'm depicting and what I'm putting on screen. Um, if I'm doing a Roman movie, not so much, uh, because it's Rome, like gladiator. I mean, really, uh, that, that emperor lived, did not die in the arena. And that emperor was considered one of the best emperors Rome ever had. So it's like, you, you look at the situation and what works, uh, for the story, how accurate you need to be. So I think it's a case by case basis, but a situation like this, where people are still alive, um, this part of being in the public eye is that you kind of surrender the rights to your story to a degree to anyone who can, who can make a movie and get it produced. You can sue them. You can push back art house, by the way, I don't I didn't find any research where art house sued them for the depiction. I didn't just, see anything about that. Right. And he's just went on numerous shows and pointed it out. So that's what you got to ask yourself. What is the response? And to me, it's like, well, if you're telling the general, point of the story and you're getting the overall fact of what happened correct then the other stuff you can play around with in the margins it's a weird thing i think first of all your point is i 100 percent agree is there's a difference between rome ancient rome and doing a movie about slavery right is that nobody i at least very very few people will be offended by your <laughs> mis you know, misportrayed Commodus. Right. Like he doesn't have that big a fan club. That that's that's not so. And even with Braveheart, which I think people, oh yeah, have a greater connection to. I don't think anybody's really genuinely upset. Whereas if I do a movie about the Holocaust and don't handle it the right way, Great that's going to be a serious thing that people are upset about. Yeah. This circumstance, it's not like. Everybody is offended that Art Howe is mistreated in this movie. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't do it this way. I, you know, and maybe that means I would make a much less good movie. Mm-hmm. I know from doing documentaries, the, the promise I've made to every single person I've ever interviewed in a documentary, because I'm going to edit the shit out of what they said, right. including frequently I'll edit within the sentence. So I'll take two different sentences from two different interviews and put them together to make one point. Yeah, But the promise I always made, and even when we did our little silly documentary about the cinephiles, is my job is to make you you be the best version of you. Uh, mm-hmm. My job is to make the people that I'm interviewing sound as articulate and clear and awesome as possible, even if the point they're making is a point I disagree with. I wanted yeah. them to make the best possible version, right. as opposed to someone like Michael Moore, who politically I align with, but he does every cheap shot you can do editing oh, yeah. to make people look bad. Yes. And as an editor, I know I could do I can make you I could have made you I could have made you look really dumb in the Cinephiles documentary if sure. I had really wanted to because 
it's so easy to do. Yeah. I can make someone look silly saying the most brilliant thing in the world if I edit them the wrong way. Totally. Um, so, but. And the show would have been over. But yes, yeah. that's absolutely true. <laughs> but you can't argue that the social network and this yeah. that have serious accuracy problems are, aren't good movies. They are good yes, movies. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Gladiator, Braveheart, as you said. Yeah, great. I mean, we wouldn't have covered them on the cinephiles yeah, if we didn't think exactly. they were good movies. Yeah. Um, but right now, we're having another scene with Art Howe in the dugout, and it is about Pena, and he wants to play Hatterberg, and obviously Art Howe doesn't want to do that. I disagree with you, plain and simple. Moreover, I'm playing my team in a way that I can explain in job interviews next winter. I love that. Why do you love it? Because he is also not believing in this and so he is preparing himself for a life after this situation, like a smart man should. And he's got to go in those interviews because man, other managers or general managers rather are going to be like, why did you play this guy when you had Pena? And he will lose credibility if he says, well, the general manager told me what to do. Because then it'll look like you're, Right. Shitting on your former general manager. So what general manager is going to want to hire you if you're willing to throw the your most yeah, recent good one point. under the bus? It displays a very specific mindset, mm -hmm. which is we've already lost this season. Great point. I'm thinking about next year, mm -hmm. which as, as the general manager, I don't like to hear my guy thinking that the reason he's making plays uh, or, or making assignments on his lineup are because of his job interview when he's going to work for somebody else. Right. Like, that doesn't sound good to me. Uh, and, of course, he does play Pena, and we just <laughs> off-camera now hear things being destroyed <laughs> as the A's lose another game. And he is near the locker room, and we're hearing uh, some funky music playing from oh, the locker yeah. room. Billy Bean walks in, sees his losing team dancing and having a great time, yeah. grabs a baseball bat, hits the radio. They all turn. It's losing fun. Is losing fun. No. What are you having fun for? And there's a silence, and he points up. There's a long pause. He drops his hand and says, That's what losing sounds like. <laughs> and then he tosses the big thing of Gatorade. <laughs> yeah. I love it. It's a great moment. I love that moment. Because, oh, God damn, if you're going to be sitting on the table shaking your thing after while well, we're in a losing streak. Yeah. Fuck you. Like, that's, yeah. that's the thing of, like, and there are players like, and Jambi was certainly known for being this kind of fuck up. There are players like this who make that money and are really like the, just all they care about is making that money. And Hey, I did what I could do. And they don't take it as personally. And I get it. A lot of people say, what's well, 182 game season or whatever it is, but or 162 game season. Sorry. But still it's, you got to care. And if you walk into the locker room and especially if your ass is on the line, like he put his butt on the line, um, to see them just dancing while they're in the middle of a losing streak, ah, he, he you know he got off light in my opinion. You know, you know, there's the moment in uh, Major League where they're getting the pink slips, and yeah. uh, uh, Tom Berenger gives the advice I think to Wesley Snipes of like, look, whatever happens, you just keep it to yourselves until you get out of clubhouse. You don't want to celebrate in front of guys who just died. Yeah, but what if we're one of the deceased? Huh? I think this is, it's kind of almost the opposite, but the same thing is like, mm -hmm. look, there are going to be some people that roll with defeats better than other people. Some people could just shake it off and go have a good time. Yeah. Don't, you, sh you shouldn't bring that in the locker room. There's going to be some people that are pissed off in mourning. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, 
let's handle this situation with respect. If you want to, you know, Chiami likes going to strip clubs and you want to go party that night in the strip club. Well, that's on you. Right. But that shouldn't be what's happening in the locker room. Exactly. Uh, Billy's driving comes to a screeching stop. (laughs) Thinks and has an idea. (laughs) Goes into his office, calls up Pete, and he's starting making calls to make deals. Yep. But by the way, this whole deal making thing is so great in the book. And I, I, mm. I wish I could tell you everything he does, but there are so many calls of dangling this player to this team, making that team think this one's available. So they start making a deal with this other team. And then he backs out of this deal and makes a double deal with that. I mean, it's like it is the most brilliant genius stuff. And this is like a little slice of it. And he's the first thing he's doing is trading Jambi. Mm-hmm. And Peter is against it. Doesn't like that idea. Yeah. yeah. And then he says, I'm going to, Pena's going to. And Peter's response is, I really don't think you should do that. These are hard moves to explain to people. Why is that a problem, Pete? I love this. Me too. Me too. And what's so interesting is Peter is saying, don't make emotional decisions. Because he's like, you're making these decisions because you're angry. Which, of course, he is angry. But he's not making this decision for an emotional reason. Dave, Pena's going on the block. You're my first call. Because he's making the rest of the team look bad. And what's so funny is Pete is telling him why he shouldn't trade Pena right, by right. saying, you know, he's going to be rookie of the year, probably an all-star. <laughs> um, and he's using that to up the sales price with the guy he's talking about. He is an all-star. Yeah. <laughs> Pena is an all-star. And if you dump him and this Hatterberg thing doesn't work out the way that we want it to, this is the kind of decision that gets you fired. And then he says, and this is the key. I don't think we're asking the right question. I think the question we should be asking is, do you believe in this thing or not? I do. It's a problem you think we need to explain ourselves. Don't. To anyone. And this is in companion to what I said on the first part. Are you committed to this thing or not? Right? And when Billy Bean walks back into that room with um, Jonah Hill after he's fired the the scout, he sits down with him and he's, he's like, you and me, baby, you and me. And this is the is the continuation of this. He's testing uh, Peter to a degree by saying to him, "Hey, you you make help me make this happen." And he's worried about keeping the job. And it's like, if you play safe, you're not going to get to where you need to get to, and we're not going to turn this situation around if you play it safe. And if you worry about what other people think, this is something people say all the time. If you worry about what other people think, you're never going to make it. You're never going to get to where you want to go to because people will always talk you out of every decision you're going to make. So you've got to, at some point, trust your own gut, your own compass for better or worse. And Billy Bean does that. And there's a certain level of respect for that that you have to have because it worked out. By the same token, there are probably plenty of other people, Stephen, you and I both know this, Plenty of other people who followed their gut and didn't succeed. You know, you just never know. But you got to take that chance. I I frankly put myself into the category of followed my gut and didn't succeed. You mm-hmm. know, I mean, I've done a lot of things that I did on my own. Mm-hmm. It didn't unfortunately work out the way I wanted it to. <laughs> um, the uh, I know we've had this conversation before, but I can't yep. actually remember the answer. Uh, have you did you ever read Ayn Rand, Fountainhead and those things? Uh, yeah. Way back when. So I have read them many times. I think Mm -hmm. they're problematic books in many, many ways. And many of her ideas are absolutely crazy. I have a whole lot to say on that topic that I'm going to entirely avoid. But (laughs) 
the fountainhead is one of the things of the fountainhead is don't care what people think. Do the work because you think the work is the right work. And, right. and this is where this is why I read those books many times. Is there are lessons in them that I really, really like? They're taken to extreme levels that I think are stupid. And again, here I'm gonna name another person who has says some things that maybe I don't like so much. But uh have you read uh, the David Mamet True and False? Yeah, I have it. On yeah. the other books. Yeah, yeah, it's true a and false. Very interesting book on acting. Mm-hmm. And, and some things I like that he says, and, what, and some things I don't. Oh, but yeah. I'm sure you have the same. It's funny oh. putting him and Ayn Rand in the same thing, but they, I have similar, like, these are brilliant people who did brilliant things in some they're not, ways. They're not that far off, Steve. Yeah. And I bet he loves her. That, I bet he my does guess. too. Yeah. But um, he said a thing, and I'm not going to quote it exactly because it was years ago that I read it, but it was something like, you spend people spend all this tr- time trying to please them. What mm-hmm. do they want? I'm going to try to give them what they want. And what he said is, first of all, there is no they, and second of all, if there was a they, they don't know what they want, mm-hmm. and you can't predict what they want. Right. So because they don't exist, they don't know what they want, and you're not capable of predicting what you they want, you might as well follow what you believe. Mm-hmm. And I really do agree with that. Yeah. yeah. Even though it, that philosophy hasn't worked that well for me. <laughs> <laughs> but do you regret it? Do yeah. You regret so, following yeah. your gut? Part of it. Part, yeah, absolutely. Really? Okay. I mean, you know, and this is the hard thing. Do I regret that I'm sitting where I'm sitting having this conversation with you? Not mm. at all. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. all those experiences that, you know, part of it is getting the shit kicked out of me made me a more humble, less arrogant person, if you could believe such a thing is true. <laughs> and and I think that made me a kinder, more compassionate, more gentle person. So, no, oh. I don't regret that. Hmm. But part of me goes like, well, what if I had just gotten a gig as a writer's assistant on a TV show? Yeah. And just worked my way through the system rather than going outside the system and making siren and making, you know, doing mm-hmm. projects on my own. Mm-hmm. Where would I have been? Or what if I had kissed Fred Weintraub's ass the time that he didn't want to pay me? Maybe I would have directed a movie for him and maybe that would have led me to another place, right. you know, like. Or I, not. Or not, you know. Maybe you'd have been trying uh, to keep getting a writer's assistant job over and over and over again and not getting moved up. That's or, or even getting moved up and doing work on a show that I despised yeah. for people I hated, you know. Yeah. Or That's, reality show. Yeah. yeah. I mean, how many people do we know that have been in those situations? So, oh, yeah. I mean, certainly I've thought a lot about, uh, maybe I should have done this differently. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I think uh, yeah, I'll take it back a little bit. Regret might be strong. Yeah. But, you know, I mean. You wonder. I mean, I there's wonder. nothing wrong with wondering. Well, yeah. and let's be real clear, John. I didn't handle everything perfectly. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's see, and I, you know, it's not for me to say because I wasn't there for any of these situations. But if you're saying that, that's certainly always something people have to factor in as well. And certainly, Billy is struggling with how to handle this decision yeah. um, uh, overall as he's throwing TVs out the out the door. So, yeah, um, one of the last things in his negotiation is he's dumping Pena. He gets the guy to pay for the sodas for three years. <laughs> Not only is that inaccurate, but I think it's ridiculous and silly. It's a Sorkin move, though, isn't it? That seems totally. like something Sorkin would put in there. Yeah. It's so funny. I admire him so much. He's mm-hmm. such a damn good writer. and and But he does certainly have Sorkinisms. Yes. You know? right. uh, anyway, and now we have to go tell the players. And, uh, and Peter has got to go fire Pena. <laughs> and I think the scene is great. Yeah. Cause we're, cause because we have the setup scene, we're totally wondering, A, how is Peter going to handle it? Is he going to do it the way Billy said? Right. And what's the response going to be? 
Where in the office, he says, does exactly what Billy told him to do. Carlos, you've been traded to the Tigers. This is Jay Palmer's number. He's the traveling secretary for the team. He's expecting your call. We'll take care of everything. And now <laughs> there is a really, really long pause where we have no idea where this is going to go. <laughs> and he looks at the paper and there's a long pause. And then he says, okay. <laughs> it's the business. It's a professional handling the business, you know, it, it's a great scene. Yeah, it is. It is. Um, and then, and I think this is again, you know, he's not mm. a nice guy. He goes in to tell art. He can't start Pena. He cockily goes in there. Yeah. Because he knows Art's going to do the same argument and thinks yeah. that he can win, which he does. Yeah, I don't want to go 15 rounds, Billy. The lineup card is mine, and that's all. Okay, the lineup card is definitely yours. I'm just saying you can't start paying it first. Well, I am starting him at first. I don't think so. He plays for Detroit now. <laughs> <laughs> what a dick. Yeah. Kind of, but, I mean, he feels he can be a dick in this situation because he thinks Art Howe's being a dick, too. So well, he feels like he has a right to do that. Well, and frankly, I would I I would be on Team Art Howe. You know, mm. like this guy's playing really well. He's an all star, and you're going to trade him in order to put an untried first baseman on first. Right. Art's argument makes perfect sense. You're killing this team. <laughs> Brad gives the Captain America line. I can do this all day long. And it's the same year. Oh, it's, you're it's right. The same year that Captain America: The First Avenger came out, 2011. So, I wonder. I wonder. Hey, you agree with this? Hundred percent. Is that the truth? No, but I don't think so. that's what he's going to tell Art How. Yep. And now he goes into the locker room, and we are going to get the Billy Bean inspirational locker room talk. Like you think <laughs> about. Hoosiers, you think about you know Miracle, you think mm-hmm. about Newt Rockney, like they're all the great locker room talks. And he says, awkwardly, I think, you may not look like a winning team, but you are one. And then there's a pause where he <laughs> seems totally at a loss for words. And he says, so, and he makes a weird lame punch. And he says, play like one tonight. <laughs> and that's the speech. And what I, I'll tell you what I was thinking when I was watching this. It's like, compare this to Tyler Durden. Oh, yeah. Great point. Yeah. I think there's no question that Brad Pitt is an unbelievably charismatic person. Mm -hmm. His ability to turn off his charisma in this scene is an amazing sign of a great actor. Yes. And now we see something that just it's not in the book and is the montage of Peter and Billy Bean basically coaching the team. So you should be throwing 100 pitches before the fifth inning. I'm going to knock that starter out and eat deep into their bullpen. I want you to take in the bats off the 10th and 11th pitcher by the end of the series. Like suddenly Billy, who's been removing himself from the team, I don't want to travel with the team. I'm not in the locker room. Right. I'm not going to the game. He is one-on-one talking to these players. Yeah, and he's sitting there with Peter, and they are telling them, this is the way you need to play. This is what you need to do. This is how you need to get on base. Um, and so it's an interesting, uh, the way Bennett Miller and his editor, uh, did this, these next couple of scenes are very interesting, Steve, because by you're either with Billy Bean or you're not with Billy Bean. So if you're with Billy Bean after he makes these moves for Pena and uh, John Bean, whatever, then him sitting in with the players and teaching them what they want, what to do and what the plan is and getting them to buy in, that's cool moment. But if you're with Art Howe 
after Billy Bean pulls the shitty pulls, then this looks like a treason. He's totally. essentially undercutting his manager by teaching these players how to play their particular statistics-driven type of baseball. And this may not vibe with what the manager wants to do overall. Well, and this is why, like, the argument of the GM is really the manager. Mm. And, you know, I mean, Billy, Art Howe just basically disappears at this point in the movie. Yeah, yeah, you're right. And I think that's totally unfair. They certainly were having these conversations with players about strike zones and which pitches to take and how, and, and, and one of the interesting things they talk about is we want you to take a lot of pitches, whether you're yeah. fouling them off or taking balls because we want to wear down the pitchers. Mm-hmm. And I love, they say it was so funny because I had made a note in, in this scene about blackjack. And then the next line that happened was every at bats, like a hand of blackjack, every card that's dealt your odds completely changed. And here's what made me think about blackjack. So, uh, I like playing blackjack. I, mm-hmm. I recently heard a, not so recently heard a lecture of a mathematician giving odds and it's kind of totally turned me off blackjack <laughs> and all gambling because it's just what, what this mathematician, he's a guy who Vegas hires to figure out the odds of all their games, all their slot machines and new game. Like we're inventing a new game. Yeah. And, and, and what he says basically is if you sit down for 10 minutes at a slot machine or crap stable or whatever, I can't tell you at all what's going to happen. You could win five in a row. You could hit the jackpot. I have no idea. The longer you play, the more exactly he can predict exactly (laughs) to the penny how much you are going to lose. And you are going to lose. Wow. Over time, you will lose because, you know, and blackjack has like, it's like a 1% advantage for the house, which is really small, which is why you have good, good odds at blackjack. But the longer you play, well, you are going to win 49% of the time. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> if you play perfectly, by the way. But, yeah. but, but one of the reasons that, do you know what the house's main advantage at blackjack is? No. You bust first is that you have oh, to make a decision right. not knowing what their whole card is and you're going to bust. And some of the time you shouldn't, couldn't, shouldn't take that card. Right. And because you bust first, the, the house has the advantage. And it does make me think about, if you can force that pitcher to keep pitching, yeah. If you take that first swing on that pitch that might not be the right pitch, that's the pitcher's advantage. Yep, absolutely. And one the one other thing comes up is they go, "So you're saying we you want us to walk more?" And he says, "Good question. <laughs> yes." <laughs> and now we have a scene with David Justice in the batting cage. This is a great scene. It really, really is. And the actor playing David Justice is Stephen Bishop. Okay. And he played, he played ball. He played, he was drafted by the Braves. And that's all the director knew about him when they cast him. He didn't know that there is a connection between Stephen Bishop and David Justice. Oh. Which is that David Justice was Stephen Bishop's hero. Oh, wow. He was a little kid growing up, growing up in the Bay Area. Yeah. And as a kid, he loved David Justice. The Braves are playing the Giants, and he managed to sneak in somehow to get FaceTime with David Justice. And he introduced himself as like a 12 year old. Mm-hmm. Wow. Um, people who watched him play said he looked like David Justice, like played like David Justice. He tried to play like David Justice, and he gets drafted by the Braves. Mm-hmm. And so at spring training, he gets to meet David Justice. David Justice takes him under his wing. They spend a lot of time together because wow. this is the end of Justice's career and the beginning of Bishop's career. And David Justice said he couldn't think of anyone better to play him in a movie. <laughs> Isn't that cool? That is cool. 
That's great. I love this whole scene. Mm-hmm. He's kind of sees through Billy Bean. He says, "Of course, he's a veteran." I know your routine. It's a pattern, but it's for them. All right, that shit ain't for me. Oh, you're special. You're paying me seven million bucks a year, man. So, yeah, maybe I am a little bit. And then this line, which is really crushing. <laughs> no, man, I ain't paying you seven. Yankees are paying half your salary. That's what the New York Yankees think of you. They're paying you three and a half million dollars to play against them. It's a beautiful line because Justice was kind of swaggering towards Bean. Bean is a general manager. It may be nice that you're making the money that you're making, but Bean pulls the strings. And so, and they took a chance. Bean brought him in. Remember, he's the one that pitched David Justice to them. And all the scouts were like, hell no, he's way past his prime, blah, blah, blah. And he's the one that fought to have him on the team. So for David Justice to, to bring his ego out, and try to try to you know a big time him. Billy Bean had to cut him down to size, and it humbled him. That's for damn sure. And he's well, right about playing against him because the a, the A's and the Yankees are in the AL together. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and but I love too is that what it sets up is the let's just be straight with each other. Yeah. Right. David, you're 37. How about you and I be honest about what each of us want out of this? I want to milk the last ounce of baseball you got in you, and you want to stay in the show. And, and I love this line, too. Now, I'm not paying you for the player you used to be. I'm paying you for the player you are right now. And what's so great about that is he just t- took him down a peg. Yeah. And now he builds him up a peg. Mm-hmm. This is, I would say, the best leadership Billy Bean has shown yeah. in the whole movie. It's man management. That's the yeah. best. Uh, to me, that's always been the best way to be a manager. And I love the fact, and he's general manager, obviously, but I love the fact that he, yeah, like you said, he took him down, but he also uh, brought him a reality check. Yeah. Don't chase trying to become that player you were before. You're never going to be that kind of player. Play the ball you can play now. That is precious to us. So well, it's, it's a way of alleviating pressure on a player. Well, and he's saying part of your value is not your 37-year-old body. It's your mind. It's your understanding of the right. game, your ability to be a leader with the team. All right. I got you. And yeah. he goes back to batting practice. And I love he goes to talk to Hattie <laughs> and they had a little chatting about first base. And then he asks, what's your biggest fear? A baseball being hit in my general direction. And just a slash. That's funny. Seriously. What is it? No, seriously. That is. <laughs> <laughs> and, and then walks out leaving yeah. justice, just kind of standing there like, what? You play baseball. <laughs> Billy Bean's advice to Hattie is to be social. He says, be like a greeter at the gap. This guy steps into your office, chat him up. Yeah. So Billy Bean didn't do, teach Hattie that. He had been doing, he, that was his favorite part of being catcher, <laughs> is talking to the batters. But there's, you can't talk that much to the batters in baseball. There's an umpire standing right behind you. You know, like there are rules about distracting the batter. It's a yeah. lot easier to talk to batters at first base. That is what made him, started to make him comfortable playing first, was just chatting the hell out of the people on base. <laughs> We also hear, by the way, no bunts, no steals. Yep. I don't know the statistics on that. Is that do you do you feel that those are good strategic choices? No bunts and no steals. Well, it's a way to well because steals risk. Yeah. Getting thrown out bunts if they don't work, and a lot of people statistically are not good at delivering the perfect bunt. It's not easy to deliver a good bunt. So why try high risk moves? When you're, and this is ironic because he's essentially bringing in these players and following the saber metrics 
that is the risky, rebellious move. Right. But he's telling them all to play safe. Yeah. So this is the irony of it all. Like everyone he's brought in, he brought in because he knows he that they're not the best baseball players, but as a group, they could lead to victories because he can get them to play safe. And getting the steal or, or, or trying the steal or trying the bunt, it messes up that plan. So it's certainly an interesting approach um, to the game. You, you know what's interesting is that it's those spectacular moves, um, the steal, mm-hmm. even a bunt, that is what separates the great baseball players from these guys. Right. You know, so right. it's like, no, we want you to do where your statistics are, just slow and steady. Mm-hmm. And I love, but I do love this moment. Let them make the mistakes. Patient. And when, when your enemy's making mistakes, don't interrupt them. <laughs> that might be my favorite line in the movie. Yeah. I'm telling you, you know, someone who has been seven years or seven seasons playing in the Schmodown, sometimes that's the best way to play. Just sit back, relax, don't be nervous, and wait for that other person to blink first. Yep. And it's not always easy to do, but it does happen. And if you can just calm your nerves and play your game, that other person's going to see you're not rattled, and that may rattle them. You just never know. And guess what, John? It's yep. starting to turn around for the A's. Yes, it is. They're starting to win some games. They win seven in a row. And what's so interesting is we're cutting from archival footage of these actual games to these really, really dramatic shots of our actors with yeah. beautiful shadows and beautiful lighting. Uh, the cinematographer is Wally Fister. Fister. Uh, mm-hmm. He is Christopher Nolan's big cinematographer. He did Inception, oh. Dark Knight, The Prestige. So this is a big cinematographer. And here's what they did that I think is so interesting. In general, nighttime baseball games are lit generally because they're lit for TV. So everything is lit. And what he did was he turned off a ton of lights. That's why we have all this depth and all the shadows and all this contrast. And it's so interesting because if you think of every baseball movie you can think of Mm -hmm. at a night game, it's under the bright lights. Everything's bright. And that's not what they did here. Uh, And so remember how when the A's were losing that the radio announcers said, I mean, we can't blame Art Howe. This is (laughs) Billy Bean's fault. Now the A's are winning. So they're going to give Billy Bean credit, right? No. A lot of excitement. What a winning streak, but how about the calming influence of Art Howe? Art Howe is the reason this team is winning. And I'll tell you why, Steve. What did you say earlier when I uh, uh, um, made my retraction of or correction of the David Justice stuff? People, it's not in there. It's sometimes it's not in people's nature to be wrong or to admit that they're wrong. So these uh, broadcasters who were so adamant that Billy Bean was the issue are now instead of saying, you know what? Maybe we were wrong about Billy Bean. It's easier to say, oh, Art Howe is doing a great job managing these players. It's just easier than admitting you were wrong. Well, and I'm really glad you said that because this points out exactly why sabermetrics is important because statistics show when you're right and when you're wrong. If you never look at statistics, if everything's on your gut and how people look and how you feel about things, there's no need to admit when you're wrong. And this is, and again, this is why uh, not taking a political side. But whatever political party you're in, whatever you believe in, think about the news people and the uh, pundits and all those people you talk about. Think about the ones you love. Mm -hmm. Now, we know on both sides, 
all of them have made mistakes. None of them are good predictors. Right. You know, no, all of them have made mistakes. How often have you ever heard any of them left or right say, you know, I said this thing three weeks ago was going to happen and it didn't happen. And I offer attraction. I'm trying to learn my lesson that clearly I was wrong about this stuff. How have you ever heard that? Yeah. Yeah. Never. No, it's rare. That is what I, this movie is really making me think about is mm-hmm. how do we make predictions? Are we actually trying to figure out the truth? What is it we're really trying to do? And, th- and that relates to this next moment because Peter is listening them give Art Howe all the credit. Yeah. You hear that? I hear seven in a row. What I love about that is that's him internalizing the philosophy. Whether or not they praise Art Howe has nothing to do with the statistics of the team. Mm-hmm. It is completely unrelated. Yeah. This is what I wrote down. Peter said, mm-hmm. you shouldn't want to buy players. You should be trying to buy wins. Billy wants to buy wins, not credit. Mm. He doesn't care about credit. Right. He credit wants- isn't going to fill up the stat, stat line. It, it, it's an interesting idea that the character who does not care about credit and just wants the wins is mm. the person in the movie getting all the credit. <laughs> yeah, fair point. Absolutely fair point. Yeah. And now he's walking through the locker room and he is totally at home. He's talking to all the players, giving all the advice. He is. And and this is where I just wrote down, man, I understand why Art's upset. (laughs) Because he's taken over in this version. They're continuing to win, but they need a better pitcher. And we start talking about this guy, Rincon. Yeah. Again, these are amazing moves he makes to get this pitcher. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And this pitcher, by the way, is going to pitch against them tonight. (laughs) He knows that uh, this guy Rincon is about to be traded and he's going to sour the deal for what another team by making a trade to this team. And then he double it's all this crazy stuff. Okay, so Billy says he'll pay for Rincon himself. But when he sells him for more money next year, he's keeping the profit. He's going out of pocket (laughs) to pay for this player. But. He knows or believes that player is going to be worth way more next season, and he's going to take the profit when they trade him back. <laughs> I, I Do you know if that's actually what happened? I, I don't know if that's what happened, but I, I don't doubt it. How about that? That's what I would say. Because I wonder if Billy made money off this deal. Listen, I don't want Rincon pitching against me tonight. Tell him to change his clothes and send him over. I got you the money. That's kind of amazing. Smart man. But, of course, getting Rincon means we got to send somebody down. Yeah. And so we go into the locker room. And I don't really know who this player is, but he's got braces on his legs. And Mm -hmm. at first he thinks he's getting traded, but no, he's getting sent down. Just the look on his face is so devastating. And this is, remember he says he doesn't like to get personally involved. I think he's been through this experience. So I think it's a way way that the film really kind of gives you a three- a fully fleshed out version of Billy Bean. You're seeing these moments where he's really a compassionate person, empathetic person, and these other moments where he's kind of a dick. Um, and he's employing them when he sees fit. And it's up to you to decide if you like it or not. But I think it's fantastic. And the A's are also fantastic because they have <laughs> now run, won 12 in a row. They've won 14 in a row. We see good plays from Hattie. We see good plays throughout. We see our pitcher, our submariner pitching. We see Dave Justice hitting. And we start to hear 
that this is starting to look like some kind of record. First, it's the longest streak in 25 years. And now it's 16 in a row. And then they say, and I just think this is an amazing statistic, that the 1927 Yankees with mm-hmm. Murderer's Row with Ruth and Gehrig, their best streak ever was nine games. Yeah, yeah. And we hear that the all-time record is 20 games, and that's what we start talking about. And it's time. It's September 4th, 2002. And Billy is not at the game. <laughs> Don't tell me the score, Pete. Oh, Billy, it's me. Sharon? Yeah. And then she says, we're watching the game. I just wanted to say you did good, babe. We're really proud of you. Hey, are you on your way to the stadium? No, I'm on my way to Visalia to see our minor league team. Turn around, please, Dad. No way, Jose. Turn around. Nope. Come on, Dad. Not gonna happen. You're not gonna jinx it. <laughs> and he hangs up and he turns on the radio and the score is 11 nothing. Yeah. And he's gonna go back to the game because nobody can blow an 11 nothing lead, John. Mm. That would be, I mean, that would be crazy, particularly for a team that's run 19 in a row. I mean, that's they're not true. gonna blow that. Right. So you think. <laughs> <laughs> he comes back into the stadium. The A's are on defense. Peter sees him come in and <laughs> immediately. Ground ball, error. Another error. Now it's 11 to 2. The music is somber. I mean, the guy, can you imagine thinking you're a jinx and then walking in and seeing this happen? He's a cooler. He's a cooler. I like that movie, The Cooler, by the way. Oh, yeah. Good stuff. I saw that when I was... Yeah, I saw that at Sundance. Uh, And he walks out, and now it's 11 to 3, and... We see David Justice bobble a ball, and Billy is watching from, like, the weight room on a small TV, and it's now it's 11 to 6. And we call uh, Bradford to the mound. He doesn't pitch well. By the way, in the book, he's having a total crisis of confidence. Oh, wow. Yeah, at this moment, okay. he's, like, literally, and I'm sure you've had these kind of crazy thoughts of, like, how do I how do, I do this? Yeah. You know? How do like, I? Oh, my God. Yes. One of the things they said that was interesting is that he started as a regular pitcher. He's throwing at a kind of high angle, and then he's sidearm, and then it's getting below sidearm, and it's getting lower. And every time he kind of has a reversal, he lowers his arm further. And at this point, his knuckles are literally scraping on the mound. Wow. When he pitches. And that, and he sort of goes like, I'm not pitching well. I can't go any lower. And he starts to get wild. He starts to walk people. He just yeah. completely falls apart at this point yeah. in the season. It happens. Um, and what they start intercutting to is young Billy Bean. Yeah. Yep. And his amazing amount of promise and him failing. Mm-hmm. I think that is a brilliant choice to intercut that with the team starting to lose it. Yeah. And now we see the score on the scoreboard go from 9 to 11. The mm-hmm. game has been tied up. <laughs> I can't imagine what's going through Billy Bean's head in the locker room at this moment. <laughs> oh, I can. I, I knew I should have stayed on the road. Why did I let them talk me into changing my my pattern, my rhythm? And now, look, we're going to lose, and it's going to be my fault, and I'll have to overcome this, too. I'll tell you exactly what he's thinking. And at this moment, the flashback is to young Billy Bean saying he wants to become a scout. You want to give up baseball to become a scout? I'm not a baseball player. That's an amazing moment. Yeah, I 
I will say this. I had that, you know, I've, we've talked about this, Steve, and I, maybe I mentioned on the show, but I had that moment um, a few years ago when I went to go see myself in a, on a, in a movie. Oh, and, yeah. I right? Halfway, halfway through the movie, I left because I, I was terrible. I told my friend who was there with me, Mindy Robinson, I was like, I'm going to go. She's in the movie with me. I said, I'm going to go get something from the, from, the, from the bar. I got up. Went out the door, called an Uber, and took an Uber home. And I've never acted on camera in a film or TV show since. And I knew. Like, I'm not an actor. As much as I think I'm good at what I do, I'm not that to the level that I want to be at, and I never will be. And so you walk away from it because it's just not your calling as you thought it was. I know that that was a profound moment in it your was. life. And, yeah. you know, you asked me about regretting things and, you know, you got Outlaw Nation and, you know, you've, mm. found, you've carved this path for yourself. Yeah. But I don't know if you remember in the last episode on Moneyball, I said as a director, when Art Howe was talking about whether mm. he could judge players, I said as a director, I could judge actors. Yeah. You're, you're a really good actor. Oh, no, no, no. I'm not saying that you're fucking De Niro or anything. No, I'm not. You know, um, it's like the David Justice conversation. Mm-hmm. I think that you have a great ability to play a range of parts. There are a ton of parts I would cast you for, but you're not De Niro. But that's not the point. Mm-hmm. I mean, and, right? And the Nor other do I want to be. Nor do yeah, I want to be. I cast you, as you know, as like an FBI agent. I yeah. think that's a total. That sort of part is a great part for you. There totally. are all sorts of actors that are on all the fucking procedurals that you yeah. are better than. That you could play those parts. And the thing I would say, because the other, you know, I don't know if you remember the other thing I said when I was talking <laughs> about my ability to judge actors. Yeah. Most actors aren't good. The, the I, ability, I do remember you saying that. Yes. The ability to do what you did, what you are very capable of doing is much rarer than may, maybe you think. Hmm. I mean, you, you've watched some auditions, haven't you? Yes, of course. And what percentage of the people who came in could act? <laughs> I don't want to say. It's a lot lower than people with the, at low levels. If you're at a high level, everyone who comes in can act. Yes, of course. Of but course. when you're auditioning for a student film, it's like, oh, oh my yeah. God. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, but uh, yeah. I totally get your story. Yes. And, it, and that's clearly Billy Bean's moment. And they call in Hattie to come pinch hit. And he goes up, takes the first pitch. By the way, Chris Pratt's a right-handed batter. He had to learn to play lefty. Oof. Uh, which sounds really hard to me for batting, yeah. particularly. Mm-hmm. And the whole point is they want to, he's a guy who can get on base. They want to get someone on base. It's slow-mo. And this is where 100% John, it is a sports movie. This is a sports movie moment. Yeah. There's the pitch. The music is building. Peter is watching. Billy has his head in his hands looking down. And he hits the ball. And I love that they pull all the sound out except for the sound of the ball hitting the bat. And Billy looks up, and Art looks up, and man, if Hattie didn't hit the ball out of the park. <laughs> the guy that he brought in hits the ball out of the park. Yeah. The guy that he made sure was playing. By the way, after I saw this uh, moment in the movie, I paused the movie and went and found it on YouTube. It is just as thrilling watching it on YouTube as it is watching it in the movie. So do yourself a favor. If you haven't seen the actual uh, situation and the call. Watch the real one. It's on YouTube. Oh, uh, maybe we'll, we, we should definitely put a link to that up. Oh, yeah. yeah definitely. We'll, put, we'll yeah. put it up on the Facebook page. Okay. Um, and man, you could see Billy's emotion in, mm. in this moment. It's hard not to be romantic about baseball. <laughs> but then immediately he cuts it down. 
This kind of thing, it's fun for the fans. It sells tickets and hot dogs. Doesn't mean anything. And Peter's like, we just won 20 games in a row. And what's the point? And I get it. I mean, I get what he's saying. Yeah. I'm not in it for a record. I'll tell you that. I'm not in it for a ring. If we don't win the last game of the series, they'll dismiss us. Any other team wins the World Series, good for them. But if we win on our budget with this team, we'll change the game. And that's what I want. And this is where I don't think it's a sports movie. You said a while ago that all he cares about is winning the, the season, which he does. But that's not his goal. His goal is to change the game. I said he, what he cares about is winning the World Series, right? Winning the title. That's what yeah. he wants. He wins the regular season the last two years with a, two different sure. teams. But winning the title is what matters. But I hear what you're saying, that he's trying to change the game by winning the World Series. Yeah, I get your point. I don't know if I 100% agree, but I get your point. Because every coach thinks they're being revolutionary sure. when they win a, a, a title, you know? And well, a, a, some of them are. Well, and of course, and again, I'm going to say it again. Of course, yeah. it's both. Of course, it's a sports yeah, yeah, movie. Yeah. You know, like, right, you, right. but you know, it's like, like you're making the first sound. You're making the jazz singer, mm -hmm. and like you can go. My goal is to make a really great movie, but my goal is also to change movies forever. Yeah, which that movie certainly does, <laughs> much more so than it is a good movie. It's not that great <laughs> a movie, but it certainly changed movie forever. And then, man, he gets up and walks out. And my thought, this is my note I wrote down here. Man, throw Pete a bone. <laughs> like, say, good job, Pete. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Why are you making this so damn depressing? And then we get to, right, basically where we started the movie. It's the elimination game. This time we're playing against the Twins, and they lose. Yeah. And it's what's interesting is they do the same filmic big build to them losing that you mm. would do to a team winning. Yeah. And what we hear is exactly what Billy predicted, a very long speech from the commentators that Billy Bean is wrong. You can't approach baseball from a statistical bean counting point of view. It's one on the field with fundamental play. You have to steal, you have to bunt, you have to sacrifice. You gotta get men in scoring position and then you gotta bring them in. And you don't do that with a bunch of statistical gimmicks. And you can't reinvent baseball. <laughs> that people reinvented all the time. And then we cut to after this terrible loss and there's but and by the way I should say there's just a beautiful dissolve from the live bright stadium to the dark stadium with the lights dim and then it fades out. Yeah. As Billy Bean's dreams have faded out. Yeah. Uh and then we cut to he's in a limo and we end up at Fenway Park. Mhm. Mm and the reaction and I love this. He says, you know, we hear due respect to the Coliseum. But this is a ballpark. <laughs> Have you and been to Fenway? Right. Oh, yes. Uh, um, twice. It is in the top five of the most beautiful ballparks I've ever been in. And I'm a Yankees fan saying that. Yeah. I'm a that, hardcore Yankees fan saying that. That's it's what I've always heard. I, yeah. I've, I've always heard it was a special place. I've never been to Wrigley. I'd like to go to Wrigley. Um, totally. Mm -hmm. it's, it's funny how few of the storied places there are left. Yes, you know. yeah, because they get, you know, they get, yeah. get too old, yeah. But Wrig Wrigley and Fenway will be there forever. Those, mm -hmm. those are never going away, I'm sure. Probably not, yeah. And now we get to meeting with the owner of the Red Sox, and after a bit of silly small talk, we get down to business. 
By the way, this is a fantastic portrayal of John Henry. John Henry also owns Liverpool. So I watch, mm. a, I watch a lot of uh, whatever interviews I can get on him. And certainly with the thing we talked about, the Super League, John Henry uh, issued a, um, <laughs> a very clumsy, awkward apology uh, because he's a clumsy, awkward guy mm. um, about the Super League situation for Liverpool. And if people want to watch that and compare it to what this actor did, I forget the actor's name, but he's a great character actor. Uh, what he did doing John Henry... It's it's almost spot on. You won the exact same number of games that the Yankees won, but the Yankees spent one point four million per win, and you paid two hundred and sixty thousand. I know you're taking it in the teeth out there, but the first guy through the wall, he always gets bloody. Yeah, I love that because it's true. It's always that nobody remembers the. I mean, you remember the first person like Kurt Flood. How many people talk about Kurt Flood, and he's the guy that created free agency in baseball. Hardly anyone ever talks about it. Only the baseball heads really talk about it. But most of the mainstream sports media or most mainstream sports fans don't know who Kurt Flood is, don't know how he changed the game, don't know how he is a black man, uh, uh, struggled and fought and pushed for his worth and to be able to choose what team he could play for, to give agency to the players. Uh, but people hardly ever talk about it, you know, and so because he was the first one through the wall. It'd be a really interesting documentary series to talk about the people who changed the world whose names we don't know. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Because mm-hmm. there are a bunch of them, you know, yeah. or even things like, you know, obviously we know the name Nikola, Nikola Tesla, but but like people like that who are like not the one you think of, you know, right. but actually did some of the most important stuff. Well, there's that young girl, young woman uh, who actually was the first one who didn't want to sit in the back of the bus before Rosa Parks. Mm. But it's Rosa Parks who gets all the credit. But there was a woman who did that before Rosa Parks. Literally, I think it was weeks before Rosa Parks did it. Um, And I think in the same city. But check me on that. Check the facts on that. And so it's just like, it's all timing. It's all who grabs the story and what catches on. You know, you just never know. This is threatening, not just a way of doing business, but it's, but in their minds, it's threatening the game. But it's really what it's threatening is their livelihood. It's threatening their jobs. And every time that happens, whether it's a government or a way of doing business or whatever it is, the people who are holding the reins, they go batshit crazy. It's true. 100% true. Look at the cryptocurrency thing over the last year, Steve. People were going insane about it. And now that it's crashing... People are people. The people who were going insane about it are like, "See, I told you so." But then when it bounces back up, what are they going to say then? You know. It's, well, it's not, as we said many times, they're not going to say anything because people right. don't admit that they're wrong. They'll just ignore their mistake and they won't learn from their mistakes. Anybody who's not tearing their team down right now and rebuilding it using your model, they're dinosaurs. We sitting on their ass on the sofa in October watching the Boston Red Sox win the World Series. And he pulls out a piece of paper and he hands it to him. What's this? I want you to be my general manager. That's my offer. (laughs) I love these moments. It's in so many moves where he looks (laughs) and then he looks again. And we don't know what that number is, but we know that's going to be a pretty good number. It's a big number. How's Boston? Impressive. Did Henry make you a good offer at least? And then he hands him the paper. Mm-hmm. And Peter, assuming he's taking the gig, says... That makes you the highest paid GM in the history of sports. Billy Bean didn't take the gig. Mm-hmm. You know, I made one decision in my life based on money. And I swore I would never do it again. 
what do you think about this decision he's making now? Well, in the context of the movie, I think it's a powerful decision. I think it's a totally a decision that makes you cheer for him even more, you know, because he has this moral compass for himself. And in the end, he doesn't take the deal. But I also think because he thinks I don't want to do it under their system of the wealth that they have and the richness they have. And then Bill James, I'll get lost in the mix. I think a certain part of his ego wants to do it with a small team in Oakland with the budget they've got. There's a certain kind of accomplishment that he feels that will satisfy his um, ego, for lack of a better term. I don't mean that in a bad way, more than doing it with a group of people in Boston. And they did win the World Series two years later, you know. I think this is a very bizarre kind of stubbornness on his part. <laughs> I think dramatic. I think what you said is totally right. Dramatically for the movie, it's awesome, and obviously, it's this is what happened. Yeah. I think that he is making as foolish an emotional decision as I think he's doing exactly the things that he's arguing against. I don't think Billy Bean has any particular loyalty to the A's. Yeah. You know, you don't think so? Oh, I think so. I'll disagree with that. I think he wants to win. Mm -hmm. I don't see him as like. But he wants to win his way. Absolutely. That's what I mean. That's what I mean. Him, but his. Yeah, he stays with the A's. But But if he could win his way for Boston for more money, it wouldn't work. Why? The goal. The goal is to do it on the smaller budget. Okay, that's a good point. Right. Anybody can do it. Like the Yankees have been doing that for years, winning it with the higher budget. I know that as a Yankees fan. But like he wants to do it with the restraints. It's the harder job to do. It's the more noble way to win in his mind. And look, he's still at that place. He's still in Oakland. So he must have had some kind of loyalty That's to that true. team to be well, doing it for so long. Well, there's also the difference between the movie Billy Bean and the actual Billy well, Bean. Well, of course, of course. The actual course. Billy Bean might love Oakland and love the players yeah. and love the <laughs> office. Like I don't I never see this Billy Bean particularly loving the A's, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. um, it, it's an interesting moment. I'd actually love to hear what Billy Bean, the real Billy Bean says about making this decision. But well, this is, yeah. let's listen to him now. <laughs> I'm just joking. I'm joking. <laughs> listen, if I can find a quote, I will cut it in. I promise perfect, you. Perfect. <laughs> hey, everyone. Sorry. I couldn't find it. Pete, we lost. It's only been a few days. You got to give yourself some time to get over it. And I don't, I'm, I don't get over these things. Ever. Come with me to the video room. I want to show you something. And he shows him this, I guess it's double A AA or triple A ball, mm. the Visalia Oaks, 240 pound catcher, scared to make the turn to run from first to second because this is a big, <laughs> this is a big dude. This guy's going to start him off with a fastball. Jeremy's going to take him to deep center. And he's going to do something he's never, ever done before, which is try to run to second. <laughs> And Jeremy, this big 240-pound catcher, falls flat on his face. Mm -hmm. And you see Billy react, I think, in a strongly emotional way way because he tried to round the turn to second and he fell on his face. That's how he he felt then as a a player. That's how he feels right now. Yeah. This is all of Jeremy's nightmares coming to life. Oh, they're laughing at him. And Jeremy's about to find out why. Jeremy's about to realize that the ball went 60 feet over the fence. <laughs> he hit a home run, and yeah. he didn't even realize it. Because he's never hit one. 
because he was so focused on just hitting the ball and getting to first. And he was so focused on his failure. Yeah, right, 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 right. He's like, oh, my God, I embarrassed myself in front of everybody. I fell down. I'm an idiot. And watch Brad Pitt in this moment. Yeah. You could just see how moved he is. And then, (laughs) again, we don't know, but this seems like Sorkin. Because then Peter says, It's a metaphor. I know it's a metaphor. (laughs) (laughs) And in the very few, like, nice moments to Pete, he gets up. He says, Pete, you're a good egg. (laughs) And then there's just a a remarkable high-angle shot of Billy Bean walking onto the field. Yeah. And I love that they have Peter, who is at the computer, and for whatever reason, he has this, you know, he's the feed, the video feed of the field. So he says, Billy Bean, walk onto the field lie down on his back, hands on his chest. I think that is such a fascinating private moment that he's mm-hmm. having. Um, and then he's driving and he's gotten a CD from his daughter who's recorded a song for him. Um, and what it's funny too, because what she says is, Let me know if you change your mind and stay in California. If not, you're a really great dad. <laughs> so she wants him to take the job. Yeah, yeah. And he drives, listening to her sing, somewhat making fun of him. Yes. Then we see that Billy turned down the $12.5 million offer to stay in Oakland, as we discussed. And as you said, John, two years later, the Sox won the first World Series since 1918. Yeah. And that is the end of Moneyball. I hate to end it with the Red Sox winning a World Series, but yeah, that's the end of the film. (laughs) How did you How did you feel watching the Red Sox win the World Series? Uh, um, I, how can I say this correctly? My best friend, Maurice, has been a Red Sox fan, and I've been a Yankees fan since we were in high school. That's how long we've had these battles. And it used to be fun to poke fun at him when the Red Sox would inevitably blow it, whenever the pressure was too high. The Aaron Boone home run, Pedro Martinez being in the game too long. All those moments where they came close to beating the the older brother. And then that AL series happened where we were up 3-0 and they came back and beat us 4-3 and then went on to win the World Series. It soured me because I used to quietly like, well, if we're not in it against them, then sure, they should win it because it's a historic ball club. Yeah. But when they beat us the way they beat us in that AL, ALDS, I think it was, uh, I I understood what the what the word rivalry meant for another team other than the Dallas Cowboys for the first time ever because uh, I hate everything Dallas does I just hate Dallas to pieces but I hate the I hated the Red Sox like I started to hate the Red Sox and all so I was not happy about it when they won the World Series um, no offense to any Red Sox fans who are listening, and you probably get super joy hearing me be unhappy about it as a Yankees fan, but because they had to embarrass us the way they did, um, which is poetic for them, to be honest with you. That was the sweeter, I think that was the uh, the, the very, very tasty icing on the cake to beat us after we were up on them 3-0 three, three in a series. Um, so, you know, but yeah, I didn't feel great about it. Let's just put it there. Well, that's what's, I mean, this is why, this is why sports are sports Mm -hmm. because you have an emotional involvement with that team. Yeah. Uh, So the reception, it made $75.6 million at the box office, 110 million worldwide. It's got a 94% rating on Rotten Tomatoes. It got six nominations for best picture, best actor, best supporting actor for uh, Jonah Hill, best adapted screenplay. That's for Steve Zalian and Aaron Sorkin, sound mixing and editing. 
it lo- it didn't win anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, Brad Pitt lost to uh, Jean Dujardin because this is the year of the artist. Bullshit. And Jody- Such bullshit. Such bullshit. You know, man. I've never seen the artist. <laughs> You're saying I shouldn't bother? I, I don't. It's like life is beautiful. It was right. of its time, but it does not hold up now in retrospect. Right. And uh, Christopher Plummer beat Jonah Hill for uh, Beginners. Mm -hmm. You know, we talked about Art Howe quite a bit. Here is a quote from Art Howe. It is very disappointing to know that you spent seven years in an organization and gave your heart and soul to it and helped them go to the postseason your last three years and win over 100 games in your last two seasons. And this is the way evidently your boss feels about you. And Hatterberg loved Art Howe. Yes. And then uh, in Ron Washington who we saw later mm. on. Remember how I told you that he went to manage the Texas Rangers and managed them to a World Series appearance? Art Howe was his bench coach for the last year he was the manager of that team. He brought Art Howe in to talk to the players, be on the bench, settle them down, mm. blah, blah, blah. So, you know, baseball, there are lifers who, they, and they always take care of each other, the coaches. They always do. You know, it just occurred to me in a weird way, is like Art Howe is the uh, Marion Davies of this movie you know mm, mm. it's it's citizen kane just being with the susan alexander character being so terrible to the real life marion davies who everyone says was an awesome lovely wonderful person yes and art how gets not quite that treatment but you know but it's also really his name yeah um i will give my final thoughts first sure. the first thing is i really like the movie i really think that the billy bean character is probably one of the least likable protagonists that I really like a lot, <laughs> to, to put it that way. You know, if I think about his behavior, he's just an asshole, mm-hmm. beginning to end top to, bo- top to bottom, other than with his daughter. But I maybe because Brad Pitt is so charismatic, but I really like him in the movie. And this is the other thing I think. I think this idea of what understanding what your goal actually is and looking at the real data, real statistics on what it takes to get there and learning from the mistakes when you make it, just like in science, I make a prediction, my prediction is wrong, I adjust the experiment, I think that is something we need to do much, much more, not just in sports, in business, in politics, in everywhere. Look at what we said was going to happen, see if it happened, and then adjust the numbers. And look at the, one of the things, by the way, that is really hard to find sometimes is actually good statistics. Uh, one of the big examples being, you know, we've had all of these issues about policing and what is working and what is not. Police departments generally don't share their statistics nationally. So it's really hard to find out. Like, for instance, there are a lot of people that believe that the good guy with the gun is really valuable and that they're gonna stop a lot of crime. It's actually very hard to find statistics on whether or not that's true. Conservatives believe it is true, liberals believe it's not true, and none of us actually are going on numbers, we're going on what our guts say, just like in Moneyball. And that's where I go like, "This this is the big lesson for me, except sometimes people do matter. Life isn't just a bunch of statistics. There are some places where, like when I'm deciding to make a cut or what words to put in a screenplay, that's gut. There's no statistics that help you out. When you're deciding, when you're speaking on camera, you're not looking up statistics on what things you should say that the audience will be pleased with. <laughs> you're being you. That's what that's what you have to do. Right. So those are my final thoughts on Moneyball. 
Well, my final thoughts are this. It was great to revisit this film all these years later. I hadn't seen it in quite some time. And I fell back in love with the movie. I think Bennett Miller has directed a quiet little masterpiece. And yeah. by that, I mean, it is such a unconventional sports movie. It is such a, um, like the approach to baseball in the movie, this movie approaches sports movie movies in the same way. They are, it's revolutionizing sports movies, showing you more of the intellect combined with the humanity, right? And as they progress through the season, and it's difficult because he's not a likable, a very likable protagonist at times. And certainly the put upon uh, a manager is displayed as the antagonist, but you actually feel sympathy for that person. Uh, if you've ever been in a situation like that with a boss who wants to just make you do what they want you to do. And it's such a great uh, watch for the for the uh, a film watcher, right? It's such a great look into the world of what happens when you're trying to change something and following your gut. And it's not always easy. It's not always pretty, but it could lead to some incredible results if you stay the course. Uh, and you mentioned the cinematography, which is gorgeous. The score is excellent as well, and it features, as we said, Steve, in the first part, the uh, the maybe the greatest performance Brad Pitt's ever delivered as an actor. Yeah. Uh, and that's saying something. Um, but yeah, it was beautiful to fall back in love with this movie again and enjoy and reappreciate it. Um, I need to have another conversation with myself about where I rank this in my top 10 sports movies for sure. I'm really glad you mentioned Bennett Miller because I want to say one more thing mm. is that now I don't know much about him or mm. why his career has gone the way he's gone. Yeah. But this guy made 2005 his first feature is Capote, which is a really mm -hmm. good movie, got Oscar nominations. His next film takes six years for a next feature, and that's Moneyball. Yeah. Then he makes Foxcatcher, which I haven't seen, but I've heard is really good. And that's it. Mm -hmm. And it's like, why there are certain directors. I mean, this is the there's some expertise going on in Moneyball. It's yeah. a really, really, really well-made film. Why isn't this guy making more movies? You know? Yeah, I don't know. In 2014, he said, I'm a tumbleweed. Hmm. I don't I don't have an apartment. I don't have a car. I don't have a wow. staff. I don't own anything. I just move to the next thing when I'm called huh. to move to the next thing. That's interesting. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So, so that's yeah. what we think of Moneyball. Of course, we'd love to hear what you think. You can visit us on our Facebook page, do a search for The Cinephiles. You can follow The Cinephiles on Twitter at Cine underscore files, on Instagram at The Cinephiles Podcast. You could subscribe to the show at all the usual places, iTunes, Spotify, on YouTube. You can leave your comments. And even if you're a YouTube person or a Spotify person, if there's any way you could get to the Apple Podcast page for The Cinephiles and leave a review, we would really, really appreciate it. You can support the show on patreon.com slash the cinephiles where we're releasing cinephile shorts all the time we give you sometimes advanced notice on some of our upcoming movies you can ask specific questions of us and even pick a film for us to do in the future that's a great way to support us but guess what there is another way that you can now support the cinephiles which is if you look on the show notes right now, there is a link where you can become a supporter of the cinephiles directly through Anchor. This is the easiest, simplest way to do it. It's basically like leaving a tip at the end of your meal. You just click on the link. They take PayPal and credit cards. And it is a very simple way to say thank you for the excellent service you've received on the cinephiles. Um, you could also buy or stream Moneyball along with every other movie we've ever reviewed on cinephiles.net. And you can reach me on Twitter at SR Morris on 
Instagram at SRMorris1. John, how about you? You can always find me at the Roca Says on Twitter and on Instagram. And of course, if you'd like to head on over to my YouTube channel, I'd love it. YouTube.com slash John Roca Says. Some new things going on there, some changes, some programming changes that are going to be happening starting June 1st. So maybe some things that will excite you and interest you. It's going to be more of a film-based, entertainment-based channel. Going to be less of the live shows and more of the pre-produced content. And you will have an opportunity to suggest some movies to revisit, some uh, some shows to talk about, and stuff of that nature. So a lot of changes coming. Come aboard and have fun with us over there. And I think that is it for this week. We will see you next time with another great film on The Cinephiles. If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And MIDI can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com.